Psalm 91, this is the word of the Lord. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On, the, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we have come together this morning, we have worshipped you in song. We have worshipped you with our gifts, our offerings. We've worshipped you through prayer. And now, Father, help us to worship you through hearing your word proclaimed. Give us your spirit, we pray, to enlighten our eyes and our ears to hear and to know your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. From infancy... All human beings have a powerful desire for self-preservation. We want to feel safe. And the strong desire for safety continues into adulthood with maybe a few years in our teens and 20s when we are a little more prone to take risks. Uh, when we need a car, we search for one that is safe. When we're looking for a place to live, we search for houses and neighborhoods that are safe. If we're going to travel and uh, our plan to stay at a, at a hotel or uh, nowadays at, a, at an Airbnb, we do some extra checking to find one in a safe area of a city. We all want to feel safe and even more so, we want to be assured that we are safe. And what I want to point out this morning about this desire for safety is that what makes us feel the safest, what makes us feel the, the most secure from when we were infants to whatever age we are now, it's, it's not based on where we are or, or what kind of car we drive or, or, or whether or not we are packing a weapon. It's mostly based on who we are with. 
we tend to know instinctively that we must look outside of ourselves to someone else in order to be assured that we are safe. Infants feel most safe when they are being held by their mothers. As a child gets older, they come to see the security that their father provides. They then feel uh, safe, most secure, when they know that their father is nearby, close enough to come to them when called. Things change as, as, as kids mature into adulthood, and as Genesis 2.24 tells us, there comes a time when a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So young adults long for and seek their security in another, in, in a spouse. And that desire has then spawned love songs that openly reveal this great desire for finding safety in a relationship with another person. Uh, just uh, 10 years ago, uh, a new pop music duo called Capital Cities released a song that emphasized both this desire that we all have for safety and the reality that we must, or that we feel most secure when we have this close relationship with someone who can ensure our safety, at least make us feel like we are safe. Their song was called Safe and Sound. It's an up, upbeat song with a, with a sound that will put a smile on your face, but what I find most fascinating about the song are the grand assurances of safety that the writer of the song makes towards his love interest. Just listen to a couple of the, of the lines of the song here. It goes, even if the sky is falling down, I know that we'll be safe and sound. I could show you love in a tidal wave of mystery. You'll still be standing next to me. You could be my luck. Even if we're six feet underground, I know that we'll be safe and sound. We're safe and sound. When we're in love, we will sometimes make promises that no human being could ever keep. Like these exaggerated assurances of safety, even safety beyond the grave, even if we're six feet underground, I know that we'll be safe and sound. And that is what some have thought about Psalm 91 that I just read. To some, the, the psalm just sounds like unrealistic, poetic hyperbole that can't be based in reality. I mean, these promises sound just a little too exaggerated for the critical mind especially. And that would be true if, like the song Safe and Sound, these were just the words of a man making grand promises to, to someone that he wants to make feel secure. When we are looking to someone else to provide us with a feeling of safety, there's no better person to look to than to God. And these are the words of God, of El Shaddai, God Almighty. So the safest place that we can be is in a relationship with God. 
That's the, the main theme here. We can be assured of our ultimate preservation in the Lord alone. And if you haven't noticed, uh, we, we have been reciting these opening verses of Psalm 91 in our, our call to worship uh, for our worship service the past uh, few weeks. Uh, and we will continue to focus on Psalm 91 in uh, uh, our call to worship because our fighter verses are now in the place where we are memorizing this psalm. We're, 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 memorizing, we're seeking to memorize Psalm 91 uh, with our fighter verse program. So I thought it would be good for us if I preached Psalm 91 to have, have it on our minds, have it on our hearts, help us to be meditating on it here this week, and then help us then as we go about verse by verse uh, to seek to memorize the psalm. The psalm breaks up nicely into, into three sections. The first two verses uh, is the first section, which declare the overall theme of the psalm. Uh, you could say that uh, these first two verses, the, this is the headline. The headline of the psalm, and then verses 3 through 13, uh, fill out the details or the specifics of what the headline is saying. And then finally, verses 14 through 16, we have some personal assurances from the Lord himself. As, as It's as if the Lord starts speaking personally here in verses 14 through 16. So they verify then the truth of the psalm's message. And they all point again to the main theme, we can be assured of our ultimate preservation in the Lord alone. So first, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, which uh, help us to, to answer the question, who is assured of safekeeping? Who is assured of this preservation here? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. The psalm uh, has been a favorite one for Christians to turn to and to be encouraged by throughout history. Particularly, we have what, 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 what we have read here in these first two verses. Uh, as we'll see, uh, the psalm goes on to provide astonishingly beautiful and reassuring promises of safety and victory throughout the psalm. But, but whenever we read the Bible, one great temptation we all have is to is to just claim all of the wonderful promises and assurances we find in them for ourselves simply because we would like them to be true for us. But the, but the really big question we must ask whenever we come across promises like this is to whom are these promises given? Just who is the intended recipient of the assurances of safety we find in this psalm. We must start there before we can jump to claim them for ourselves or for anyone else. Well, this psalm is very helpful in providing us with an answer in its very first line. Who is the intended recipient of the assurances of safety in this psalm? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, uh, this first verse can sound a bit confusing to us. It seems to be just repeating itself. You know, like someone saying, the one who lives in that house will live in that house. 
Uh, but what we need to remember is that we are dealing with ancient Hebrew poetry here. And this is just another example of, of Hebrew parallelism that we see throughout the Psalms. It's, it's used quite a bit uh, in the Psalms in, in Hebrew poetic literature. And in Hebrew parallelism, the second line gives emphasis and reinforcement to the first line. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It's a way of saying the one who lives in the safe place that the Most High God offers really does rest safely in the shadow of the Almighty God. During the hot days of summer, if you are working outdoors, you try as much as possible to do your work in the shadow of a big shade tree to be protected from the sun, but you know the only way to be in that shadow of the shade tree and enjoy that shade is if you are close enough to that tree. Therefore, the person who takes up residence in the place of shelter that God provides, well, is someone who has come near to God, near enough to be in his presence. Verse 1 is saying, if someone seeks safety in God alone, they have to get close to him. They have to be close to God to enjoy this safety. And if they seek it in God alone, they will genuinely find it. Verse 2 then further describes the one who dwells. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The person whom the Lord will keep safe and secure is someone who recognizes their need for God to protect them. Just like when a father brings his young son uh, to Menards with him and the the young son gets distracted looking at toys, and, and then all of a sudden he realizes he's all alone. And he'll begin looking and looking and, and possibly even begin to cry out until he finds his, his dad again. So, so this person realizes that he is in need and knows he's not secure in and of himself, and so he seeks out the Lord, and he recognizes the Lord as his refuge, as his fortress, as the one who will keep him safe and sound. We also see from these two verses just who this God is that is a refuge and a fortress and a place of strong security. There, there are four different names used for him in these two verses. They are all historic and ancient names of God. In verse 1, he is called the Most High. Then he's called God Almighty, or, or El Shaddai. In Hebrew, then, the, the Lord. The Lord, in, in, in all capital letters, which indicates a trans, tra, tra, uh, translation of the name of God, Yahweh. And then he's re, re, referred to, in verse 2, just as my God. These, these titles all go back to the very beginning of the story of redemption in Genesis. So these verses point us back to a great history a great history of protection and safety that this God has provided for his people, leading Abraham to Canaan, promising to bless him and his family and descendants there. Then when Abraham's descendants were in Egypt 
and were under slavery, the, the, the Lord sent Moses to deliver them out of slavery and then protected them and kept them secure from the attack of the Egyptians at the Red Sea and then through the wilderness, leading them into the promised land. So this is not just some generic spiritual entity being referred to here. This is a specific God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is this God, this God, who will provide security for the one who puts their trust in him. The psalmist confesses, this is the God in whom I trust. Who then is assured of of safekeeping then in this psalm? Who are these promises for? It is the one who has come into the very presence of God and abides in him. One who has recognized their weakness and knows their need for refuge and looks away from themselves and entrusts their very lives into God's hands. Who who doesn't just place their hope in, in anything else. Not in themselves, not in their family connections, not in their bank accounts, not in their retirement plans, not in their social status. No, no, their hope, their security, their trust is in God alone. So the next question then is, does that describe you? Does that describe you? Secondly, if the Lord is your refuge, you need not fear anything. There's, there's, this is in verses 3 through 13 here. If the Lord is your refuge, you, you need not fear anything. Uh, this section lists basically any danger that someone could face, particularly in the land of Israel in ancient times when the psalm was written. And it states authoritatively and almost prophetically that for the one who has entrusted themselves into the care of the Most High God, that he will be protected from these dangers. So let's just take it section by, by section here, verses 3 through 6. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. The dangers here range from traps that an enemy might set to capture you to deadly pestilence, which would indicate a contagious sickness, to an enemy who may attack by night when you are not expecting it, to arrows of war flying at you during a battle. And the psalmist assures those who entrust themselves to the Lord that he will cover you with his pinions, that is, his feathers, his wings. Under his wings you will find refuge. There in verse 4. So like the little chicks who are being protected by uh, their mother hen, you know, running to her, crowding around her, getting as close as they can so that the hen's outstretched wings can, can cover and protect them from danger, this is the image that we're being shown here. And we see the same in, image emphasized elsewhere in the Old, the old, old Testament, uh, particularly the book, the, the book of Ruth, where there the widows Naomi and Ruth entrust themselves into the care of Yahweh, Naomi's God. 
They've both lost their husbands. They have no one to provide for them, no one to care for them. They leave their home in one country and they go back into Israel to Bethlehem entrusting themselves into the care of God, hiding under his wings. And in that book we see the Lord provide for them and protect them primarily through a kinsman, a relative of Naomi's, a man named Boaz. So the book reveals how the Lord cares for and protects those who place themselves under his wings and entrust themselves under his care. And then verses 7 and 8, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. These verses seem to be about the day of judgment, also known as the day of the Lord. And the great distinction that will be made on that day between the righteous and the wicked. For on that day, when God calls all of humanity to stand in judgment before him, as Matthew 25 tells us, he will divide there. He will divide the sheep from the goats. That is, he will divide those who are his people, who have entrusted themselves into his care, who have feared the Lord and trusted in his word from those who have rejected him and done what seemed right in their own eyes, who have put their trust for, for protection and care into other things. So those who have run to the Lord for protection will find that they are protected from his wrath on that day, and they will see with their own eyes the wicked receive what they deserve. And then right in the middle of the psalm, in verses 9 and 10, we get a reiteration of the main theme of the psalm. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. In verses 11 through 13, maybe the most familiar verses uh, in this psalm for us, because they are the ones that Satan uses to tempt the Lord Jesus to throw himself down off of the highest point of the temple so that the angels would then swoop in and rescue him, and thus he would prove to be the Son of God to all the gathered worshipers there at the temple. But of course, Jesus refuses, saying, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus then helps us in the proper way that we are to interpret these verses and, and this psalm. We can never just, just read these psalms and, and, and hear these great assurances and, and then think uh, that we are rightly applying them if we go out and do whatever we want and take whatever risk we want to and then really believe that, well, we're not going to get hurt. We'll never get sick. We'll never face trouble of any kind. I mean, isn't that what the psalm says? No, no, Jesus shows us that's not what this psalm is saying, even for him. And he was, a, he was the son of God. There was no one closer to God, the Father, than Jesus. So what it is saying is that if the Lord God is your refuge, if he truly is the one you are looking to for salvation, if you really have entrusted your very life into his hands, well, then you need not fear anything. Nothing can ultimately harm you. 
the psalm is not promising that you will never face trouble. I mean, just, just take a look down at verse 15. There the Lord is promising to be with the one who trusts in him when he is in trouble. So just, just think about the life of Jesus Christ and the hardships and troubles that he had to face. Having to be born in a stable, far, far away from his mother's home. Then, then having to flee with his family to Egypt when he was very young to escape King Herod, who was trying to kill him. And then being arrested, condemned, and crucified on a cross. Also at, at, a, at a young age. So just because we entrust ourselves into the care of the Lord to have a close relationship with him does not mean we will never face troubles of this world. What it does mean is that there is no safer place for us to be in this world than to be with the Lord. We need not fear anything, for if we are under his care, well, he is going to use everything that happens to us for our, our ultimate good. Think about the things that you might be afraid of. The things that, that can have, uh, that, that may have, have harmed you. Sickness. Evil people. Scary people. Wars, storms, dangerous animals, and as is mentioned here, snakes, lions, and of course, our adversary, the devil. Psalm 91 is showing us the Lord is aware of them all. He knows them all. And the Lord is over them all. And he has enlisted the angels to be in our service, in helping to protect us, as he did in the wilderness with the Israelites, as it says in Exodus 23, 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. And then in the book of Hebrews, which, which tells us a lot about angels, if you want to know, if you want to know, know about angels, read the book of Hebrews. But there in, in Hebrews 1, 14, it says there that the angels are all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So the Lord is very active in our lives. He has protected you from countless things and situations that could have easily killed you or greatly harmed you if not for his mercy. I'm sure if you think for a few moments, you could share about a time when you came very close to death or great harm, but were spared. Why? Because God commanding his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And also because his purpose for you was still not yet complete. That's why you're still here. The great missionary Henry Martin uh, went to India in the late 1700s and translated the scriptures into different uh, eastern languages, so missionaries would be helped to share the gospel with the different tribes and people groups in Asia. Uh, he fell very ill, um, as often happened, and, and so he then took an ocean voyage, which of course was also common at the time, uh, to be aided by the, the fresh ocean air rather than the thick, humid air of the tropical lands of Southeast Asia. Um, he then eventually landed in, in, in Persia and was one of the earliest 
English missionaries in that area to seek and to evangelize Muslims. And although he was still often sick, he used to say, uh, or, or, he, or he, he used what, what, what strength he had to learn the language there and to translate the, the, the scriptures into Arabic. And he used to say, and he famously wrote in, in one of his letters, I am immortal until God's work for me to do is done. If he still has work for me to do, I cannot die. So brothers and sisters, we can all be assured that if you have made the Lord your refuge and you are serving him, then you will not die while the Lord still has work for you to accomplish. He will protect you. He will hold you up. He will keep you going. Lastly here, verses 14 through 16, the Lord's personal assurances of ultimate preservation. So the psalmist now gives voice to the Lord himself. This is the Lord now speaking personally. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Just hear that emphasis. I will, I will, I will, I will. It's the Lord who is speaking. It's the Lord who will act. In verse 14, the Lord further describes those who will have these assurances of safekeeping. He says, it is he who holds fast to me in love. This course reminds us of, of the song we just sang, the sermon hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast, which is a hymn declaring that the Lord will hold securely to those who have entrusted themselves to his care by his grace. So with that hymn and this psalm, we once again have that parallelism, don't we? For those who hold fast to the Lord will find that the Lord is holding fast to them. This again points to our desire for safety. We know if we are to be truly safe and secure that we will need to look outside of ourselves. We, we, we will need to cling to someone else, someone stronger than us, someone with far greater authority than us, someone who we know will love us, who is committed to our well-being. And my friends, this psalm and the rest of the scriptures tells us that someone is the Lord. We must hold fast to him in love. You know, one of the most precious things to see is, is, is a father who is carrying his 6- uh, to 12-month-old child, um, especially when they're, they're first, you know, walking into the church gathering and the child's a little anxious, you know, seeing all the people around. What is that child doing? She's grasping onto her daddy with clenched fists, holding onto his shirt, holding onto his neck with this very tight grip. This baby believes everything will be all right as long as she keeps hanging on to her daddy. She may even believe that her safety depends on the strength of her grip. But of course, what everybody else sees is that although it is really cute to see this little baby, you know, hanging on to her daddy with all of her might, 
like that, we all know what's really keeping her safe is that she is being held by the strong hands of a father who loves her and if he had to, would gladly lay down his life for her. And in John 10, 28 through 30, we hear the Lord Jesus say these words about his sheep, about those who have heard his voice, those who have followed him and put their trust in him for their salvation. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So those who have come to hold on to Christ by faith also come to realize that he holds on to us. He will hold us fast. And as verse 16 says in Psalm 91 here, with long life, that is with eternal life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Our desire for safekeeping is, of course, often short-sighted. We long to be kept safe in our short lives, lives which the Bible refers to as a vapor or a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's your life. And yet, here in Psalm 91, and in the gospel, those who put their trust in God through the saving work of his son, the Lord Jesus, are promised another life, a greater life, an eternal life, beyond this one. As one Christian writer put it, over 200 years ago, when we reach that life, we will be out of the reach of the seductions and calamities of a world full of folly, full of vice, full of danger, and will safely enter the haven of eternal repose and delight. There, my brothers and sisters, we will finally be safe and secure protected from sickness, injury, protected from the threats and traps of our enemies, from falls, from wild animals, from cancer, from heart conditions, and anything else that could ever do us harm on the earth because we will be in the very presence of the Lord Jesus himself. When we are away from the body, we will be at home with the Lord. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty forever. Forever. So have you said to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. The only way you can ever to be found safe and sound when you are six feet underground is if you trust the Lord with your life. 